Before listening to the podcast, please watch the video linked in the description below. Isn't that a great statement? Again, just so packed with power and truth and this gospel that reshapes us, it redefines us. I was able to grab as a young guy because it's simple. As a five-year-old, I could get my head around some powerful truths that, that God loved me. That's phenomenal. It's, it's mind-boggling, but still as a young boy, I could understand that God, in his infinite creativity, he, he, he made me, and he made me for relationship, and he loved me. Little Ronnie King, he, he looked at me, and he saw me and knew me, and he loved me. And I could also understand that it was my sin that that did this. It wasn't anybody else's sin. I, I knew as a young boy that, that I had violated God's perfection. I, that was on me. I was responsible for it. It wasn't my sister's fault or my parents' fault or other people's fault. It was my responsibility. It was my sin that did this. And, and I can understand as a young man that, that this sin, this rebellion I had in my heart, it separated me from a high and holy God. Now, as a young boy, I didn't understand a whole lot about how majestic God is, how holy and awesome he is. I could just know that, that who I was and what I had done separated me from what God wanted for me, uh, a right relationship. And that was broken. And and I couldn't do anything about it. There was nothing I could do, no pile of lists of good things I could do to earn God's favor and approval. And so I was separated, and I needed something. I needed God to step in. And, and as a young boy, I understood that God did do that. He actually stepped in in human history in the form of his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who came and he died. That's what we just celebrated, right? Last week that he came and he died for me. He gave his life so that I might understand what it's like to have right relationship with God. And, and I could actually receive that gift by trusting him. I could place my trust in, in Jesus Christ. And when I took that leap as a young boy, he gave me life. Now, that doesn't mean that I didn't struggle and wrestle, and it didn't mean that there weren't all kinds of moments in my life, in fact, every day of my life that I needed to step back into that commitment of trust in Him and seek His life and forgiveness, but He gave me life and life eternal at that moment when I was just a young boy. By His grace, I was saved. I was saved. And many of you, I know, have similar stories. At the end of the message, I'm going to invite you just to articulate that, just to speak it out in an act of worship, if you would. I'm going to have a mic right down here, and we're going to ask you in a minute or less 
just to say what you think is so good about the gospel as you've experienced it if you're a follower of Jesus so that others here might be able to hear and appreciate what God does to bring new life. This is the gospel that we have rebelled and are inadequate and yet God in his adequacy has paid the price for our sin, for our shame. And yet, in the middle of this great news that I have for my neighbors and friends, I still have issues. And my friends have issues. People who are not yet walking with the Lord have all kinds of issues with this. And there's some primary ones that I've heard. Resistance, excuses, Reasons why people don't embrace the gospel. And here's the first one. That the gospel opens us up and lays us bare. The gospel makes us look into a mirror and see ourselves without makeup. And and see ourselves as we really truly are. That we are sinners. We are wrecked to the core. That's what the Bible teaches us. Every one of us. Not one person here is not in that, and we are all broken. And that brokenness is ugly. And no one likes to admit that, right? We're all prone to denial. 1 Peter 5.5 says that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble, but humility is hard. So when I was in eighth grade, um, I felt pressure like to achieve, to excel at school. And I took this crazy test when I was younger. It was an IQ test. And it turned out I, was, I scored a little higher than my sister, who was a straight A student. She studied all her life. I went for a little bit more well-rounded life. <laughs> and I, I could never like, I could never do all that she did. And, and I felt the pressure of that. And I also, in junior high, started to lose part of my vision. I couldn't see like I once was able to see. And so I was supposed to have glasses, but I was a junior higher, right? And my self-esteem, my image of myself was like right on the edge, and I didn't want to be a goof. I didn't want to be a dork, and so I, I didn't wear my glasses because I felt it would make me look stupid. So now I'm sitting in the back of eighth grade class, math class, and they're putting all the equations. I can't see them. I don't know what's going on, and it gets worse and worse, and you know, math, it builds on one another, and I was getting farther and farther behind, and, and I did something that I hadn't done to that point in my life on a test. I cheated. I cheated on a test. I was sitting next to the girl in class who was the smartest girl, and I looked on her, and the teacher sees me do this. He sees me cheat, and he calls me out. He makes me stand up in the middle of the class. Ronald, come up. And I walk up there, and like, bring your test. And I brought my test. And he puts out, he gets out his red pen, and he puts F. And he said, I want you to sign, get your parents to sign that, and bring that back to me tomorrow. I felt horrible, right? Can you imagine? Like, I, it, it crushed me. And I also thought, my dad, I'm dead, right? I thought, <laughs> uh, how am I? You know, I, life ended at that point for me in my life. My mom is going to go off the charts. I'm wrecked 
how do I possibly get over this? How, how do I possibly even tell them? How do I humble myself in front of my parents and say, I'm so sorry I made this horrible mistake? All I could think about was condemnation and judgment. Listen, the gospel tells us that there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yes, I am a wrecked sinner. And my sin and the gospel lays that open, lays me bare, humbles me before a mighty God. But it's not a condemning God or a judging God that it lays me open to. And the gospel, it makes me thoroughly dependent on God. That's hard because I want to be independent, right? One of our kids, I won't identify which one, had this little saying when he was young, do itself. Like he'd always say that, do itself, which is great, right? You want your kid to be able to do it themselves and learn and grow. But that's our stuff, right? That we want to do it ourselves. And so get the honor that only God deserves because we cannot earn our way to God. That's the gospel and all other avenues that mankind attempts to get right with God except for what the gospel preaches is man-dependent, man-centric. It's about our own pride and selfishness as if the very breath I breathe isn't dependent on the kindness of God. This thinking is seductive. Because in our sinfulness, we yearn to take the credit that only God deserves. And the gospel reveals our inadequacy. It forces our hand. That's why that wonderful proverb that many of us love says, Trust in the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Don't trust in yourselves. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And don't lean into your own understanding because that's how you're wired. You typically do that. And God knows your heart, knows my heart. Do not do that. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make your path straight. But you have to be God-dependent. That's the story of the gospel, and it's difficult, isn't it? It's challenging for us. And here's another issue that the gospel enthrones God alone. The gospel is intended to help me, and yet it forces me to take me off the throne and to put God there. I have some friends that were in Hawaii. They're at the big island of Kona. They went to a coffee place, and they saw this T-shirt that says, as it's kind of the coffee place, has advertisement there, and then it's got this phrase above it. It says, it's good to be the king. And they thought, oh, we got to bring that for Ron, because that's my last name. And so they thought, oh, it's great. They bring me the T-shirt. I wear it occasionally. And when I wear it, I'm reminded, I'm not the king. I'm a child of the king. I serve the king, but I'm not the king. And that's difficult when the gospel challenges me to get me off the throne Romans 9.20 captures this in saying, But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? The prophets say, Will the clay say to the potter, 
right? Who are we to say to the great God who created us and created all things, no, I've got a better plan. I think that I should be on the throne. God alone sits on the throne. And the gospel will never make sense to us unless we are able to capture these truths in our hearts. The gospel will always be resisted and will make insidious presumptions against the God of heaven who has a great plan for us based on grace if we resist him with these excuses. So Paul writes out the gospel in Romans chapter 3. I'm going to turn your Bible open to this wonderful encapsulation of the gospel found in Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21. Many of you are familiar with this. Others, this might be a brand new word. Let me give you context. In the first two and a half chapters of the book of Romans, we're taught that no person, not one person here, is righteous, is right, and is in right standing with God because of their own activity, that we have all sinned, every one of us, regardless of what we've done and what path we've taken, that all of mankind, every woman, every man, every child, is guilty before God, stands bare before God, and there's nothing that we can do to earn God's favor. And then Paul writes, starting in verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested. It's been made clear apart from the law. That is, apart from obeying all the commands of God, there's a righteousness that's different. It's from God. Although the law, all the Old Testament and the prophets bear witness to it, the whole Old Testament was revealing this plan of God, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. That's the gospel in one sentence. The righteousness of God through Jesus Christ for all who believe. That's the story. That's the story of the good news. For there is no distinction for all. Every one of us has sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified. How? By his grace as a gift. Praise God for that. As a gift through the redemption that is the payment that he made in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation that is a way to appease God, to make what was wrong right. And he did that by his blood, his shed blood on a cross to be received by faith. That's the gospel, as Paul writes it. That's the heart of it. That's who we are, what we've been shaped by for those of us who have chosen to follow God. Now, let me rephrase what that great video just phrased in the same format. G, the G of the gospel. John Piper once said, The greatest good of the gospel is not forgiveness, justification, or eternal life. Though those are all great, right? Those are amazing. As good as these are, the highest, fullest, deepest, sweetest good of the gospel is God himself. Enjoyed by his redeemed people. It's God himself. Enjoyed by his redeemed people. It's about that relationship. 
The gospel is the good news that God bought us for everlasting enjoyment of God. The gospel begins with God, his initiation, his love that came first, that he created us in his image. Genesis, at the very beginning of the Bible, tells us that God made us for this. And then Adam and Eve, they walked in the garden enjoying relationship with him. And it was right and it was good. God with us. And that's always been God's plan. God created us to be with him, this sweet communion. And as the Apostle John writes in 1 John, so passionately, that's central to the nature and character of God is this relationship love. This love that's not just an abstract, but it actually is about us with the Lord God, intimate, affectionate, no holds bar relationship. That's what God is about with us. Listen to the prayer of Jesus in John 17, starting in verse 20, where he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. I'm asking, Jesus is praying, for these people right here, us that are gathered together here in this room and all throughout Fremont and the churches throughout Fremont and the U.S., all throughout the world, I'm asking for these believers of the next generations who will come to follow Jesus, that they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me, that they would enjoy the same kind of fellowship and oneness that we do. Is that mind-blowing? It's crazy to think about that we would have that same kind of intimacy with God, and yet that is his eternal plan for you and for me to enjoy that kind of fellowship with a high, holy, majestic, sovereign God, to be one like that. Wow. That's the story that God is writing here. The gospel begins with God himself, but the O exposes us. The gospel exposes our sin. He writes, Paul does, in Romans 3, 23, we've all sinned, every picking one of us has, and fallen short of the glory of God. And here's a hard reality. It's our sins that separate us from God. It's not other people's. It's ours. And you've heard this before. Probably everybody in this room has, that it's on us. Our sin is, our separation is. Now agonize over that for a bit. Because it's affected your family, your home. It's affected every one of your relationships. It's wounded so much. Our sin, it's on us. In Genesis, again, we discover Adam and Eve after they've sinned, and they're trying to hide from God. Once they were intimate, enjoying amazing communion with him, and now they're using fig leaves in their shame and in their embarrassment and their guilt. And that's our story. That, that's my story. The gospel exposes us. And we know this 
that the gospel is the only way, this good news is the only way to bridge the divide between a high and holy God and a wrecked Ron and a broken me. It's the gospel. And the Bible is crystal clear about that, that our sins cannot be resolved by us, no pile of good stuff we do, nothing we try can be good enough to bridge the divide. It's only what God has provided. That's the P, his payment for our sin. The gospel announces that Jesus is God's payment for our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sakes, he, that is God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, that God might do this amazing trade of all of my junk, all of my ugliness for the beauty of his holiness and his righteousness, and I might have that as mine, and I might have a way to approach a holy God and have relationship with him. The gospel tells me that Jesus Christ is payment. Paying the price for sin, Jesus died and he rose again. And that's what last week was all about, right? It was all about us gathering on Friday and remembering what he'd done on the cross. That he would willingly suffer the humiliation and the pain and the separation that my sins would be laid on his shoulders and that he would die for me. He would shed his blood as payment for me. That's what the gospel teaches, that he died for me so that I might have life, that he made this payment. And the gospel is received by faith alone in Jesus alone. It's an invitation of grace and we're told in Scripture that e, everyone who trusts in him has eternal life. Everyone, not just one or a few selected people, but everyone who places their trust in him, who takes that great step to actually trust him with L, with everything. Everyone who trusts him is going to be rescued, though none of us deserve it. That's the great truth, the beauty of the gospel that anyone who places their faith in him will be rescued, will be saved. And the gospel is your resurrection. That's the ill. Life with Jesus, it starts now and it lasts into eternity. It lasts forever. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Anyone who comes to me. He's, he's welcoming people into relationship. John chapter 11, that wonderful conversation that he's having, people who are mourning the loss of Lazarus. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he's not talking just about temporary life. He knows he's going to raise Lazarus, and Lazarus is going to live for another season. But Lazarus and his body is going to die again. He's talking about life now and life eternally. You can experience relationship, the abundance of life, Scripture says, now, right now, and into eternity. And I know that's 
impossible for us to get our minds around. What does eternity even look like? We use that phrase eternal life and sometimes we use it so cavalierly we don't, we don't grab it. It's difficult to know because the love of God is unfathomable and what he has for us is beyond our imagination. But it is life. The other way is death. And he will bring us from life to death. No, from death to life. From brokenness, from separation, from our wrecked being to eternity with him and life abundantly. And that's the gospel. It's that easy. It's that simple. What I want to know is, will you hold on to that? Will you grab it? Will you understand that the plan of God actually is simple? It's not overly complicated for any person. Every person can understand it and grab hold, but it's our pride that keeps us from it. Don't allow that to happen in your life. I know there are a lot of people here that have experienced the grace of God. And the gospel has made a big difference for you. And we're going to step into a place right now of just worshiping God, not through song, but just in our worship. We'll make a statement. Keep it to a minute or less, okay? And I just want to invite you, I'm going to put a mic right down here, and I'm going to invite you just to stand up and to speak it out so other people can hear it how good the gospel is. And thank God for it, okay? So I'm going to bring the mic, and I want you just to speak it out quickly. Who's going to be bold enough to go first? This is a good place for us, you guys. Okay, great. And we're going we're gonna to enter into a shared time of worship. I know some of you were thinking, uh, public speaking is not my thing. That's Okay. We're just gonna we're gonna worship the Lord. So come and let's do this. The gospel to me is life changing. Thanks. It gave me an opportunity to call on God and ask, can you help me? And he did a marvelous thing. Mm. Not only did he help me, he saved me, he forgave me, and he changed me. I love the Lord, and I know that he is real because I've seen him uh, work in our, our leader. I've seen the Lord grow in him, and you've seen it too, I know, because he has the power. And I know, and I can understand why he died for us, because of our sins. And I know how sin can affect our lives, and how it can uh, be a bondage, and be, uh, you could be in prison and not be able to live life fully. But I know that he died for me, as well as this person who is lost and not saved. And we can only through, do things through the power of his love and what he's done for us that we, we can change through us. He can change lives. He can change hearts. And it's going to last forever, not temporary. 
So with that power, we can't do anything. And so I'm excited about what God is going to do in our, in our family because of the power that he's done in our leader. I am thankful that the gospel is about God and not every, anything that I've done or how great I am, but it's about what Jesus has done for me, and I can depend on that. I'm really encouraged by um, the verses. Things work together for those who love God and for those who are called to serve his purpose. Um, a lot of times I feel like I'm very, very vulnerable and don't have the strength or the courage to do um, what I feel I'm called to do. But I am encouraged when I hear his words and I know that all things are possible. I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. And I'm really, really moved that Bridges gave me the opportunity um, to come um, to do the Impact Day with Kids Against Hunger group um, on the 19th. We will have up to 120 people to pack thousands and thousands of meals. Um, I think this time, I believe Pastor Nate is going to send um, those food that we pack to Mexico, I think to the orphanage uh, as a part of our mission project. All those food will be donated to um, the church for pastors need to feel wherever the greatest needs are in with, whether it's within Fremont City and Kids Against Hunger is actually going to be run by entirely unpaid volunteers so we need as many hands strong um, guys to help us carry the goods and we know it's going to happen we will hopefully be able to pack a million meals through 40 schools in the Fremont City Thank you. Hey guys, sorry about that. Um, um, I'm Eric, and um, I'm thankful for the gospel. I and uh, I learned from. Now I learned three things from the gospel. One is I learned about God's love, I, and I still believe in God's love. Uh, one of which is uh, one of the greatest examples of love is when Jesus washed the, the feet of his disciples. And two, even though I still struggle with my hurts and upsets and stuff, he he still forgives me, and he wants me to believe that he that Jesus was sent to die on the cross for my sins and rose again, and then he rose again on the third day and he need, I need to surrender, I need to surrender to that fact. And three, thanks to God and the gospel, I'm truly, I truly believe who I really am in Christ. I'm not a child, but I'm a child of God. And I'm not, a, not, I'm not just a man either, but I'm also a brother in Christ. And I, just, and I want to say amen to that. So, thank you. I'm thankful for the gospel. Um, I think about eternity a lot. And I'm just super excited um, that we 
have that promise uh, of eternal life and um, or Jesus coming back, we you know our death or Jesus coming back. Um, we are to long for that and um, we couldn't do that without Jesus dying for us. And when we go through hard times, that just we don't want it, but that is what brings us to grace and and longing for heaven. Um, there's, I just want to remind everybody, there is, there's no condemnation in Christ. That that's the gospel. It's it's all grace because of what He's done for us. Understanding that gospel is a gift and reminding myself that gospel is a gift for everyone is important to me. Sometimes my brain gets in the way and I get things complicated, but I go back to when, oh, sorry. I go back to when, as a child, I accepted Christ as, and I accepted his love, and I see now our daughter ex- having understood God's love um, so openly and so fully, and I see her, I see that in her, and I'm reminded of myself having gone through that, and I'm so grateful. It's important to remember that. Thank you. I'm just so thankful and amazed at how God speaks to me. I am so thankful to be in communication with him through prayer, through his word. He encourages me along my path in simple ways sometimes. Uh, For instance, on Easter Sunday, (laughs) I was wearing a new pair of shoes, (laughs) and they had some heels on them. And it was the second service, and I was thinking, am I going to be strong enough (laughs) to stand with these heels in second service? And there was a scripture on the uh, board outside about that he will make your feet as the feet of deer. And he showed me that scripture just at the moment that I needed it. And I am thankful and amazed, and I have no more words to say. (laughs) Hi. Um, I'm thankful that Jesus lives in me because I'm assured of my salvation, and I have hope and joy through my Lord, Savior, and I I hope the whole world gets to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior because then we can all rejoice together in heaven one day. Thank you. I love when um, people just respond this way and worship. And thank you for those of you who stood up. Um, perhaps you came and you have not stepped into trusting Jesus yet. And we hope that this can be a place, a community where you can ask questions and wrestle through it. But perhaps this morning, you're at that place where you need to just step into trusting Christ. I mean, you, you just need to stop the excuses and to trust. 
And if that describes you, I'm going to ask you to call out to God, to just be honest in conversation with him right now. The Lord is listening. He loves this prayer. There's no condemnation here. There's only him wanting you to place your trust no longer in yourself, but into him. So I'll lead you in a prayer. And you can use your own words, but I'm going to invite you to step in here um, to pray after me. And if you're a believer, would you just renew this wonderful commitment we make to the Lord? Father, thank you, God, for making a way, for creating me, for relationship. And you know me, Lord. I, I have violated that. I have sinned. I've repelled. That's my heart. It's my actions. And there's nothing I can do to make that right. God, um, I just confess that before you. And God, I, I want what you're offering by grace, your love. I, I want to trust that what Jesus did for me by dying for me on the cross, that that would bring forgiveness and wholeness and life to me. And I want that. Lord, I, I want to receive that from you and trust you, Lord, so I do. You know my unbelief. You know those, those parts where I, I can have struggle. Lord, I pray that you would give me faith. And I want to just declare to you right now, I want to be yours. Listen. When you pray that honestly to God, he changes you. He makes you his child, as Eric said, and he brings you into the family and gives you life. And if that's been your experience this morning, we'd love to talk with you. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.